Good morning. As Jacob said, my name's Marshall Conklin, and it's my parents, Albert and Jerry Conklin, and so I'm, I'm a Mexico kid, and it is good to be here this morning. One of the announcements that was shared by Jacob was that today is the rally day, the, the camp day, and I'd like to encourage you. Um, if you've got kids that, or grandkids that are camp age, to uh, encourage them to go to this camp day because it is a great time just to encourage them, see what camp's like. Maybe they've never been to camp, maybe they've been to camp and it's just an encouragement that the, the camp season is uh, approaching. But let me also say that it is a, a great time if you just wanna see the, the camp that you all support. You don't have to have kids or grandkids going to camp. It's just a, a time for you to see the facilities, get to, to know who will be the deans and stuff like that because it is a great camp that you all support there in Clarence, Missouri, Shelby County Christian Assembly. So that, that's one of the uh, commercials. But also, as you came in, in the, uh, the foyer, you saw a bulletin board, and it had all kinds of numbers and stuff like that. And that is to help support uh, kids going to camp, if I'm getting this right, and there's dollar numbers, and if you would take one of those, and that is your commitment to uh, give that amount so it helps with, uh, you know, helping kids to go to camp and helping with the cost of camp. And so I think I got that right, how, how th that works. And so make sure you check out the, the bulletin board as you uh, go out today. I spent the, the last 35 years in ministry, most of it in youth ministry, and uh, one of the things I liked about youth ministry, and that is because I, I like sports, athletics, and I could use that in, in the ministry, and uh, one, one of the, the sports that I enjoyed as far as using it in ministry was golf. Now. Golf is not a relaxing sport for me. It's very frustrating. It's very humbling. But um, some youth minister friends, uh, we got together and we decided we wanted to do something that um, was different than spending time at church camp and youth rallies and seeing one another at conventions. So we decided we would spend maybe once a month going golfing. And so we decided we would go to, to Marshfield Country Club. That's over between Lebanon and Springfield on I-44. And the, the first time we got there, we found out it was Ladies' Day at the country club. <laughs> and so we, we asked them, hey, is it okay for us to, you know, us four guys to, to golf uh, on Ladies' Day? They said, yeah, that's fine. Just don't get in the way of the ladies. Don't impede their, their play or anything like that. And that was fine. But it was obvious that we were probably the first guys they'd ever seen on Ladies' Day. Because the things that these ladies were yelling at us from fairway to fairway, I guarantee they didn't know we were a group of preachers. <laughs> and so, so after the first time in hearing all this, we decided that from now on, we're going to golf on Ladies' Day. That, that's our way of getting back. Well, and so... One, one time, one of the times we were there, we were just finishing up the day, we're, we're teeing off on the last fairway, and the friend of mine, Rick, he, um, 
if he decides, you know, who cares about how, how well I, I do this? I'm going to see how hard I can hit the ball, see how far it will go. And if you know anything about golf, you know what's going to happen. So he forgot all about his mechanics or anything. He just swung like he was swinging a baseball bat going for a home run. And so Rick swings, and about 30 feet to the left is a fence post. And that ball hits the fence post solid, comes back at us. I don't know if it went over us, in between us. It didn't hit us, but it went way behind us. After we realized none of us were dead, we just started laughing because it was just so funny what, what took place. Then after we kind of got our composure, we decided we would do something that we had never done any time that we had golfed. And that is, we decided we would give Rick a mulligan. Now, if you know anything about golf, you know that a mulligan is saying that the previous shot, the previous stroke, doesn't count. It's as if it never happened. Now, we know it happened because that's why we're laughing. But on the scorecard, it's as if it never happened. So when Rick teed up again, it went down as his first stroke. So in golf, a mulligan is as if it never happened. You get a do-over. You know, I think about life. Wouldn't it be great to have a mulligan in life? Wouldn't it be great to have that opportunity of those experiences in life just to as if they never happened? You know, you, let's say you're, you're going down Highway 54 and you're speeding, and Doug McPike pulls you over. And then Doug walks up to the side of your vehicle and you say, hi, Doug, you know, I think I'm going to take a mulligan on this one. <laughs> or uh, you're, you're at school and you know, man, you just messed up on this test, and you, the teacher hands the test back, and there's this big F in red letters. You know, and you just walk up to the teacher and say, you know, I'm going to hand this back to you because I'm taking a mulligan on this one. <laughs> you know, wouldn't it be great to be able to, to have a mulligan, just have a do-over as if the previous thing did not happen, or... Let's say you see that good-looking guy or good-looking girl and you practice the words, how you're going to talk to them for the first time. And the words don't come out of your mouth like you had planned. Yeah, a mulligan. You know, life with no penalties, no, no playbacks, just do-overs. Well, this morning, we're going to look at uh, a, a section of Scripture in Chapter 21, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to that. John chapter 21. Now we're going to see an example of someone who really messed up. He, um, he failed, he you know, failed with his best friend, he denied his master, and in his mind he failed in such a way that he's wondering if he could ever be forgiven. You know, we, we see a lot of examples of that in scripture and that, that's what's so rich about scripture and that is we see those people are just like us 
They, they have failures. They have joys, but they have failures. But we're also going to see in this passage in John chapter 21 something that is even greater, and that is we have a God who loves us so much that he even gives out mulligans. Let's look at this. John chapter 21, starting with verse 1. We'll read through verse 9, and it says afterward. Now, I've got to stop there. Who, whoever came up with dividing chapters and stuff, why would you start a chapter with the word afterward? Because now you've got to figure out, after what? So let's go back and just set the, you know, what has happened here. We know that Jesus died on the cross. He, he was put in the tomb. He rose again on the third day. And he appeared to various people in his resurrected body. One of the times he met with some of his disciples, but uh, one of the disciples, Thomas, was not there. And the, the disciples met up with Thomas later, and they said, well, hey, we've seen Jesus. And Thomas says, unless I've seen him, you know, I, I've got to touch him. I, I've got to see Jesus in his resurrected form before I'm going to go with this story. And so Jesus meets again. And this time Thomas is there and he gets to see Jesus. After that, afterward, verse 1, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, and two other disciples were together. Go on out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they, they were unable to haul the net because of the large number of fish. And in verse 11, we find out there was 153 fish. Verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And so when Simon Peter gets to the shore, he sees Jesus has fixed breakfast. Jesus fixed fish and bread. I'm not a fish eater. And I, I've always wondered, why did Jesus choose fish for breakfast? You know, He's the guy who spoke the words and the universe was created. If Jesus would have just said the words and had, you know, uh, steak and eggs or pancakes or chocolate-flavored Rice Krispies, but he chose fish. And I thought, oh, fish of all things. Now, I'm not a picky eater, but, I, I, you know, fish is just not one of my favorite things. Over the years, I've found some things that I just really don't like to eat. When I was in junior high, I remember, I was, you know, at our house, mom fixed supper, and when it was time to eat, you stopped whatever you were doing. 
And everybody came, we sat around the table, and we had a meal together. And uh, th this time, we, we gathered around the table, we had our, our prayer for the meal, and one of the, the dishes, it looked like it was cooked potatoes, but it wasn't. Have you ever eaten rutabaga? If you haven't, consider your life blessed. And, and so I, I thought this was potatoes. And so I, I took it. Now, one of the things about, uh, you know, mealtime, and that is whatever mom fixed, you ate. It wasn't a smorgasbord. You know, mom didn't hand out menus and see what you wanted. Whatever mom fixed, you ate. And whatever was on your plate, you finished. You did not waste food. And so I thought I had potatoes. And then I bit into rutabaga. The thought in my mind was, why is mom so mad at us? <laughs> you know, what did we do wrong? Now, you know, I have older brothers, younger sisters. I knew it was probably them because it wasn't me that did anything bad. But, you know, I even have researched how did we ever come up with the idea that you could eat rutabaga? You know, if you don't know what it is, it's sort of like a turnip, but, you know, don't ever try it. You know, it's just nasty. A few years ago, I found something else that I didn't like. I was, my, my daughter got married in Hawaii, on the island of Kauai. And uh, she and, and many of the, the wedding party were already on the island, and I, I came in with the rest of the wedding party, and Flew into Lahui and uh, Eden met us there, and, and then we had supper together. And at the end of supper, she said, Dad, you need to try this. This is, you know, something that everybody likes in Hawaii, and it's poi. And, and so she gave me a spoonful of a poi. I put it in my mouth, and only one word came out, and it was, why? This is an island with tropical fruits and vegetables. Why would you even desire this? Poi is made from the taro plant. And it's all mashed up. It looks like a purplish-gray paste. You remember, I remember in kindergarten, in, in art class, and you had the paste, not Elmer's glue, but the paste. It tasted just like it. It was nasty. There are things I don't like to eat. But here, Jesus chooses fish for breakfast. And the disciples must have liked that. And so Peter comes there, sees the fish and bread, and uh, he's watching Jesus cook this on a charcoal fire. That may not mean anything to us as we're reading through Scripture, but I think it meant something to Simon Peter. I, I think his, his heart just dropped. I think there was a, a sickness in his stomach at that time. Not because he liked gas over charcoal, but because he remembered just days earlier. It was around a similar charcoal fire that he denied knowing Jesus three times. See, the first time, he said, I don't know him. The second time, he said, I, I, I'm not with this guy. 
And the third time he was so mad, basically he said, I blankety blank don't know this guy. And he sold out his best friend. He denied the truth. Now, we deny things. and We know it's not a good thing. And we deny silly things. Like uh, may, maybe we say we're not scared even though we're shaking in our boots. We deny that we're tired even though we're, we're exhausted. We don't want anybody to know we're tired. But sometimes we catch ourselves denying Jesus. No, I'm not saying that we go out on you know, Kentucky Road or, or Curtis Street saying, I don't know this Jesus. But we deny him in our actions, in our relationships, in who's in control of our life, in our time. We say, hey, Jesus, I, I, I know I shouldn't date this person. I know I shouldn't hang out with these people, but denial. We say, Jesus, I know you want me to go this way in my life. You have set this path for my life, but denial. Jesus, I know you want me to spend time with you and, and have a devoted life with you, and I will. You know, Sunday's coming. But now, denial. And when we deny Jesus, we are just like Simon Peter. We have failed. And so the story goes on after Simon Peter's denial of Jesus those three times. Jesus went on trial. He was accused of things he did not do. He was abandoned by his friends. He was given the death penalty. And they took Jesus and they beat him. They forced him to carry a cross, and people spit on him. They mocked him. And they walked up to him, and they just basically sucker punched him. You realize, the, the Romans love cruelty. That's why they really liked crucifixion. But with crucifixions, there really weren't a whole lot of rules. And so when they would crucify somebody, they a lot of times would put them along the road. So as you were walking by, you could do about anything to a person on a cross. And so they probably sucker punched Jesus. And Jesus was on that cross to die. And die he did for yours and my sins. But don't forget, there was a resurrection. And Jesus overcame death. And now he's with some of his disciples on this beach. Peter and the disciples have joined Jesus for breakfast, but now breakfast is over and maybe the other disciples are, you know, doing the dishes. But Peter finds himself alone with Jesus, a very awkward moment. Because this is the moment of truth. With failure in his mind and guilt flowing through his body, Peter stands in front of that charcoal fire. And if only he could have a do-over. If only he could have a mulligan at this time. Years back, I was youth minister in the Kansas City area, and sometimes some guys, we'd get together and, and go golf. And one time we went to Swope Memorial Golf Course, and a beautiful golf course back in the, the 60s. It was uh, one of the courses on the PGA Tour. But the day we were there, uh, it was very crowded. And so your tea time was late. Uh, you know, 
the play was extremely slow. And so we were waiting for a group in front of us, and they were waiting for the foursome in front of them. But there was a, a group of guys behind us that were just very impatient. And so they would yell at us to hurry up. Well, we couldn't because everything was slow. And they would hit their ball even though we're, you know, still in the fairway. They're just rude. Well, they, they couldn't handle it any longer. So they went to the course marshal and complained about, you know, the, the slow play. So the course marshal pulls up in his golf cart and he says, hey, guys, these guys are complaining behind you. Can you speed up your play? And so we explained, hey, we're waiting for them. And he was very nice. He understood. But he said, you know, if there's anything you can do, for example, if your ball goes out of bounds and you can't see it, don't go look for it. Just put another ball down. And so it was my time to tee off. Now the pressure's on. You got these guys yelling to hurry up. You got the course marshal sitting there, you know, wanting you. And so, you know, I, I hurry up my swing and I slice it into the woods. Well, I'm not supposed to go look for it because the course marshal's watching. So I grab another ball, tee it up, and hit. Now, understand this. The first hit was stroke number one. Grabbing another ball and putting it on the tee, that was a penalty. So that was two. Now I'm hitting, that's three. I've already got a three, and I haven't even gone anywhere. But that's, that's what a penalty. A penalty's not a good thing. And here, Simon Peter is standing in front of Jesus, and he's thinking about the penalty of what he did of denying Jesus. See, Scripture says the wages of sin is death. There's a penalty of sin. And I... I just wonder what, what Simon Peter is thinking. I wonder if he's thinking, is Jesus mad at me? Does, does he hate me? Is he going to forgive me? Simon Peter knew his Old Testament. He, he knows of the stories where people you know, got angry with God and the earth opened up and swallowed them up. You know, what's God going to do to me for what I've done? But Jesus breaks the silence because... I really think that Simon Peter's thinking about the wrath of God instead of the love of God at that moment. Jesus breaks the silence and he says, Peter, do you love me? Jesus doesn't ask, Peter, are you sorry for what you've done? You, uh, do you promise never to do it again? No, he goes to the heart of the matter. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds, yes, Lord. Now, if I'm in that situation, I, I, I'm thinking this is a setup question. You know, Jesus asked me, hey, Marshall, do you love me? And I said, well, Lord, you know I love you. And then he said, well, why did you do this? You know, why did you deny me when I needed you most? But that's not what Jesus does. Do you love me? Jesus is saying to, to Simon Peter, I need you to be a leader. I need you to care for people. I know you know how to fish, but that's not what I called you to do. I called you to be a fisher of men. Jesus was saying, Peter, I need you to follow me and get back into the game. And three times, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? 
until Peter finally got upset. Look at verse 17 of John chapter 21. It says, the third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And something incredible is happening here that I don't think Simon Peter understands. Jesus is taking someone who has missed an opportunity of a lifetime and is saying, let's do it again. Let, let, let's have a do-over. Let's get back into the game. In front of that charcoal fire, Jesus is saying, here, take a mulligan. Let's have a do-over. See what happens? Peter had denied Jesus three times, but now he has professed his love for Jesus three times. You know, there are many of us in this room, we know we're, we're like Simon Peter. We have failed. And if Jesus were to, to show up in his physical body in this room this morning, some of us, we, we might run out because we're not ready to talk to Jesus because of the, the things that we have done. But understand, the question is still there for you. Jesus asks, do you love me? Jesus says, yeah, I know you dropped the ball. Yeah, I know you've messed up. But the question still remains. Do you love me? Yes, you, you may have failed. But don't live in your failure. Jesus would say to you, if you love me, Get back in the game. My love, my forgiveness stretches further than all of your failures. See this story in John chapter 21. Yeah, it's about, we, we mess up. Simon Peter messed up. But more importantly, this is a story telling us that we have a God who loves us very much. And he wants you to take a mulligan. As we heard in the communion meditation, Romans chapter 4, verse 25, He, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life. He rose again for our justification. That's a good church word, justification. Well, that verse is telling us He died for our sins and He rose again to make us right with God, filling us with God's goodness. Justification, that's the mulligan. The blood of Jesus covers the multitude of our sins. The idea, take a mulligan, you may say, well, that's just too simple. Those words are too simple. Well, understand, the forgiveness us receiving justification isn't a simple thing because what Jesus offers isn't just words. It cost Jesus something. After Peter denied Jesus, Jesus went to the cross and, and gave his life so that Peter could be forgiven, so Peter could have a mulligan. But not only did Jesus die for Simon Peter, he died for you and me so that we could be forgiven. He went to the cross because he loves us. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Romans 5.8. And it says, because of his great love, he did that. While we were enemies, he died for us. And even though he, he knew we would fail, he died so that we could live and he paid the price for our penalty. So the question is this morning, have you accepted what Jesus offers? Earlier I had mentioned the passage of Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but that's not the whole verse. The wages of sin is death. There's a penalty, but the price has been paid. And so the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you accepted his gift? What do you long for? Do you long for Jesus? Do you long for what he is offering you? He's offering you his goodness. He's offering you a mulligan. He's offering you everlasting life. There's a, a song in the hymnals that... Uh, I just think is a, a powerful song. It's a powerful song, it, the, the music itself. But the words start out saying, wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall my praise begin? Because he's taken away my burden and set my spirit free. Oh, the wonderful grace of Jesus for even me, for even you. So, what do you long for? Do you long for Jesus? Do you long for what he offers? As we close, maybe you have questions about what we're talking about as far as Jesus' love and his wonderful grace. Well, I want you to know that you are seated among people who would love to talk to you and help you with your questions as they open up God's love letter to us. Don't, don't leave this morning not knowing what Jesus has offered you. His wonderful grace can be yours. It can be yours today. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your wonderful grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that the penalty for our failures went to the cross. You paid the price for our penalty. Lord, we thank you. Because of your great love, we can have this free gift. You offer it, and we thank you. And so, Lord, I just pray for all of us that we will live each day just expressing our love to you. That, yes, we love you. May we go out and take care of your people, feeding your sheep, that we care, that we have your heart. Lord, we thank you for blessing us. In Jesus' name I pray.